Brian Terry. Brian's out under the weather this morning, so I've got my wife, Miss Elaine Altazan, here in the studio. Good morning. There you go. Boy, you got you doing good so far? <laughs> well, I'm so happy. <laughs> I thought we'd chit-chat a little bit about some of the things that go on in the shop that maybe you have a perspective on since you make uh, about 90% of the appointments at the shop. Well, I think we could maybe talk about general inspections for one thing today. Mm-hmm. A yearly general inspection can definitely help you save quite a bit of money. Well, that's right, because you can spot problems that maybe would turn into something bigger. We're going to take a phone call here first, and then we're going to get into that a little more. we got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Good. Glad the lane's on there to keep you straight today. That's right. Somebody has to do it. <laughs> uh, well, That's really right. me? <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple questions about, one, my minivan. I have a 05 Sienna from Toyota, mm-hmm. and it's got the power sliding doors on the side. And when I first bought it, everything worked fine. But then eventually the remote buttons went out, and I guess the mechanism that controls that stopped working. And they wanted, you know, like a thousand bucks or yes. something to replace them. And so the power door still works when you pull the handle. But is there a preventative maintenance way to keep that working? Or is that just kind of, it lasts as long as it lasts and that's it? Well, yes and no, David. They do go out eventually because there's a lot of moving parts in there. And it's a very complicated setup. But if you can keep it lubricated you know the tracks they're designed to be lubricated for life but that really doesn't hold up you know the lubricant dries out in time and it gets a little harder to move the door which does put more effort on it keeping all the tracks clean some dry silicon lube in the little areas where the rollers and stuff roll was helped somewhat but like you said they are going to eventually go out just because it's a big heavy door with an awful lot of mechanisms and stuff that make it work now, sometimes those can be repaired for a fairly reasonable amount of money. It just depends on what goes wrong with it. I know we change the rollers on them a fair amount. The rollers will go bad, and it puts a lot of drag on it, and the motor can't move it, so it just kicks out. It times out. Sometimes you can just replace the rollers and get it going again. Now, if one of the motors goes out or if one of the modules goes out, yeah, it's, it's pretty big bucks to so get in there and repair that. Okay. My second question was on my 2002 Suburban. Mm-hmm. I took it in for the inspection to be done, and they said check engine light wasn't coming on when they turned on the key. Mm-hmm. And the I went out to look at it, and when we stuck the key back in and turned it, it came on that time, the service engine soon light. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you're going to have to rebuild the instrument panel to fix, or is it just? Not necessarily. You need to know why it's not coming on. Because that could be something like the PCM itself may not be commanding it on. Uh, now, that's fairly easy to determine because in any good bi-directional scan tool, you're going to be able to look at check engine light command and see off, on or off. Now, if it's saying off and it should be saying on, in other words, you're in the bulb check position, then you've got a problem either in the PCM or one of the inputs to the PCM. Now, if the bulb itself goes out, those can be replaced. It's a little, uh, it's not an LED, it's a little incandescent bulb, a little tiny thing with two wires, and they can be soldered into that cluster 
I have seen a handful of those go out, but it's not a real common issue. But, yeah, you can pull the instrument cluster. It takes about an hour and replace just the bulb. Okay. All right. All right. I should do it. Thanks That's it? Help. Where are you calling from, David? Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Very good. We were there. In fact, we were in San Antonio just yesterday. <laughs> oh, good. You're here for the good weather. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks for calling, Dave. All right. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. Why don't you give us a call, and we'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Talking just a little bit about making appointments and getting your car serviced today. But, of course, we talk about a question on any topic you may have. You're never limited to what we're discussing in the studio. We were talking just a little bit before the show about what we were going to discuss today. And one of the things is that, I guess, in days gone by, I always like to say the old days. That makes me sound even older than I am. But it was pretty common if your car had a problem, you just wheel into a shop and they would do something for you. Now, more and more, that's getting to be not the situation. And it is probably always best to call a prospective shop before you just bring the car in for a number of reasons. Yeah, one of those reasons might be that we do not work on that specific vehicle. Mm -hmm. If you come over to drop your vehicle off, make arrangements with a friend to pick you up, and all of a sudden you get there and we can't work on the vehicle because that is not anything we're equipped to work on. Right, that is something that in days gone by, almost every shop worked on almost every vehicle because they were all pretty similar. And you really didn't have all of the computerization that you have now. But most shops have to select the cars they're going to work on now because you just can't afford to equip for every single car on the road. I mean, there are literally dozens and dozens of cars. Everyone requires a different computer scan tool. It requires different subscriptions to factory websites. It requires information sources. Not only that, but the training just to keep guys up and up to speed on all the different cars just precludes you working on every car that might come in the door. And it's not that the information and tooling and training is not available, because it is, but you have to decide as a business, are you going to see enough of these cars to recoup that investment? We sat down one time and kind of put some numbers together, and it costs almost $50,000 per car per year when you consider the tooling you have to buy, the training you have to get, the subscriptions that you have to belong to in order to have the information on these cars. And so if there's a car that is not very popular in the area, for instance, in the Baton Rouge area, Subaru is not a very popular car. It Nationally it is, but in this area it's really not. There are a handful of Subarus in the area, but they're just not enough for every shop to tool up to work on them because they're just not going to see enough of those cars. For instance, if you're going to spend $50,000 on tooling, you can't work on 10 cars a year. You know, you're, you're upside down there. So you have one or two specialty shops that may service them, and, of course, you have the dealership, which may service it. But it's just one of those decisions you have to financially make. Can you afford to work on this car? Now, the same thing with the tooling and all that. So you need to make a call first off to, number one, determine if the shop is equipped and feels comfortable servicing the type of car that you drive. Now, another thing is most better shops are going to stay pretty busy. Yes, so when you call and you're giving your complaint, make sure you give all the complaints at the time you make your phone call because if you 
have a complaint that you haven't relayed to us at the initial phone call and you get there, we are in the business of repairing your vehicle, but there are times that we may not be able to fit that problem in. We will do the best we can, but there are just times it's not possible. Yeah, first, what you're talking about is when you call for an appointment, you tell us the symptoms, you tell us the age of the car, roughly how many miles you have on it, and we're going to estimate about how much time that vehicle is going to take to service, and we're going to block out that time. That means we're going to turn other people down in that time frame so we'll have someone available to work on your car. Now, what that means is if we guess too much time, we're going to have a guy standing around with nothing to do which you lose money. If you guess too little time, you're not going to have enough time to get the car done. So over the course of a day, a well-trained person can pretty much hit that very close and optimize everyone's time. The problem is if you make a appointment for, say, a oil change, okay, we'll block out maybe an hour for your know, half hour for the oil change, maybe a half hour for what else we might run across. But then if you come in and say, okay, by the way, I need a set of tires and my brakes are squealing and the check engine lights on, well, you just expanded that one-hour appointment to probably a five- or six-hour appointment, and the time may just not be available. So what is best is if you speak with whomever drives the car. I know a lot of times maybe mom will call and make an appointment for one of the children's car, and they just tell her one thing. And then she makes the appointment. Well, when they come in, they start telling all the other stuff. Well, if you're making an appointment for someone else, be sure you speak to them or let them make the appointment or at least have them available when the appointment's made so we can be sure we get everything down. Same thing a lot of times dad may call to make mom's appointment. Well, she just tells him one thing, but then when they get there, she'll, oh, well, it's doing this and this and this and this and this. One thing was on her mind when she made the appointment. However, when she gets the shot, all these other things get there, and it kind of expands out and can create a problem for you if you have to have the car back that day. Hey, we've got to take a quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more. Sir, how did you get in here? I used my grappling hook and climbed in through the window. Well, as long as you have an appointment. Ah, yes, Mr. B. Wing. Uh, why are you stressed about your job? Doc, I live in an area with a high crime rate, and part of my duty is to fight that crime. But lately, it seems like every time I turn around, someone needs my help. It's like this bright light signaling. Bat, what, I mean, B. Wayne, help us. Well, Mr. Wayne, there's not much I can do in regard to your crime-fighting dilemma. But if you want some peace of mind, bring your car in once a year to AGCO for a general inspection. They'll inspect your vehicle bumper to bumper and let you know where you stand. And these guys are honest? Years ago, they advised me not to fix a minor electrical problem that I could live with because it was too expensive. They sound like good people. Okay, I've got to go. <coughs> I sure wish he would use the door like a normal patient. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us at the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Miss Elaine Alzan, my wife and, I guess, head appointment maker and accountant and whatever else, whatever hats you may wear. Whatever there is to do. <laughs> whatever needs to be done, that's what we try to get done. We're talking a little bit about making an appointment in a shop, and even the concept of an appointment is a relatively new thing because in, I hate to keep using the words the old days, but in times past, most shops worked on every car, and you just dropped in, and they would take the car in. But shops today more often work by appointment. 
that is they try to schedule their time to make it more efficient, which makes it less expensive for the client. For instance, if you have a guy and he's sitting on his toolbox waiting for an hour and a half, and then you come in and he works on your car for an hour and a half, he's got to be paid for three hours some kind of way. And by removing this loss, this hour and a half of sitting around on your toolbox waiting, you can lower the prices or at least make it more reasonable for customers because all repair is very expensive. A well-run shop is a very expensive operation. Most of the people who work in shops, if they know what they're doing, are very highly compensated individuals. So you don't ever want to have loss. You don't want to have people sitting around doing nothing. So that's why most of the better shops are going to work by appointment. Now, when you make your appointment, some shops will make a waiting appointment. Other shops, and this is becoming more and more common, want you to drop the car off just because there are fewer and fewer things that can really be done while you wait. Maybe an oil change, maybe a tire rotation, but much beyond that, when you come in with, say, a check engine light, the test that you do may only take an hour, but it may take up to four to five hours to perform all these tests. Reason being, you may run, first off, it comes in, you scan it, and you have some type of a mixture code. Well, next thing you do is to run a fuel pressure test. Now, you have to allow that to sit and bleed down to see if the pump is leaking down. Well, that can take up to an hour just sitting there. Now, you're not being billed for all that time, but it's still physical time that passes before the next test can be run. If that test is inconclusive, the next test may require the engine to be cool before you can run it. Now, the engine's warm because you've been running it doing the fuel pressure test. So it may have to sit there for an hour or more waiting for the engine to cool down before the next test can be run. So when we say this takes four or five hours to diagnose this problem, it doesn't mean the technician's working on the car four or five hours. It doesn't mean you're going to be billed for four or five hours. It just may physically take that long to execute all the necessary tests. So wherever possible, it's always best to make arrangements to drop the car off. You don't want to be trying to rush the guy. You don't want him to feel under the gun when he's working on your car. So it's generally going to work out best if you can make arrangements to just go ahead and drop the car off. That's more and more and more what's going on. And like I said, there are always exceptions. Certainly you come in for a very minor service, like maybe rotating the tires. As long as you know there's nothing else wrong with the car. Now, again, you can't come in for a tire rotation. I'm going to wait on it. Oh, yeah, by the way, check my brakes. Because if we check the brakes at that point and we find out they're worn out metal on metal, okay, well, then that half-hour appointment just went to a four- or five-hour appointment, and you're sitting there waiting. And the thing is, you don't want to take it all apart and inspect it and then put it all back together and then have to bring it back again for the work. That's generally not very cost-effective either. So best if you can allow enough time to get the car repaired. And again, most of this is going to start by giving a full complaint of what's wrong and everything that you know that is wrong with the car when you bring it in. And that starts when you make your appointment. Yes, when you make a phone call, even if you have to write it down before you make the phone call to make sure you cover everything would be the best. And like Lewis said, whoever drives a car, if they're not making the phone call, they should be next to you in case you have questions for it. Because there's questions that you really have no idea that these are going to be important. Like, you say, well, my steering wheel shake while I'm driving. Well, does it shake in the whole vehicle? Does it shake at 50 miles an hour or higher? Does it stop shaking? All this information is pertinent to getting the correct diagnosis. 
also, did you just get new tires? Did you rotate your tires? There's so many things that are involved in just the shaking of the steering wheel. Right, and so often what may happen, the wife may tell the husband, well, my steering wheel's shaking. Okay, well, I'll make you an appointment. He calls in to make the appointment. Well, he doesn't have any idea about all these other factors. Now, the more of those you can bring into play or let the shop know about, the faster they're going to go to a diagnosis. For instance, I've got a shake in the steering wheel at 55 miles an hour. Well, that sounds pretty specific. However, if this started immediately after you had new tires put on the car, well, right off, we know everything else is probably the same. We have to go right to where it started, and very likely we may have an out-around tire. We're going to start checking for things like that. If this is a problem that the car has always had and we've had three other people look at nobody can figure it out, okay, well, then the simpler things are probably not going to be it because any shop would have found the simpler things. I'm sure the tires have probably been balanced two or three times. They would have probably found a bent wheel. They would have probably found an out-around tire. So now we're looking for way more complicated things. So we're going to start in with a more difficult battery of tests that may bring this up. The next thing is what brings it on and what makes it go away, if anything. For instance, if it comes on when I hit a bump, that is totally different from it comes on when I get to 55 miles an hour. I know it sounds the same to you, the steering wheel shaking both ways, but to a technician, when something that comes on when I hit a bump is going to connote something loose in the front end, something that the bump is bringing on, whereas if it comes on related to speed, now we're looking for harmonics, we're looking for balance issues and all that, if the vibration in the steering wheel comes on when I accelerate and goes away when I let off, well, now we're probably looking at a driveline-related sort of an issue. So even knowing that when you make the appointment, make sure you get it assigned to the right technician. Yes, and also one of the problems when you call and say, my steering wheel shakes, are you talking about when you're braking? That's another That is factor. a very common factor but you're only telling us that steering wheel shakes at a certain speed, not that my steering wheel shakes when I'm stopping at 55 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. That's an entirely different thing. Well, and for instance, if the steering wheel shakes at 45 miles an hour just for a few seconds and then goes away, well, that is more likely going to be something like a torque converter lockup shutter. Now, that needs to go to a transmission guy. And within the shop, each guy has his own specialties. They're all kind of cross-trained, and all of them can do a lot of things, but each one has a specialty which they're going to be best at. So if it comes in around 45 miles an hour, a little quick shake, and then goes away on its own, now I'm going to put that on a transmission guy. Whereas if it comes in when I hit a bump, I'm going to put that on a suspension guy. If it comes in when I accelerate and goes away when I stop, I'm going to put that on a driveline guy. So within the shop, each guy is cross-trained, but each one is best at one particular thing. And you want the best guy working on your particular problem just because you'll go to it quicker, which is going to cost less money. Let's go back to the phone lines with Benny. Good morning, Benny. Good morning. I have a 2007 Buick Rendezvous, mm -hmm. and it's my daughter's. So the problem with it is when she, she'll get up in the morning, she'll go outside and she'll try to crank it, and it'll just turn over. To, it would sound like a – I thought it had a timing belt, and it sounded like the timing belt was gone, just bent over, but it, it's got a chain. Mm -hmm. So what have, we took it – we had to tow it to the shop. We towed it to the shop three times, and every time it gets to the shop, the thing cranks right up. Hmm. And <laughs> they put it on a put it on machine. Yeah. 
They cannot find nothing wrong with it. Yeah. I had the fuel pump changed, the fuel filter, and it comes back on. She gets it back, and within two days, it does it all over again. It just spins over. Yeah, you know, a crank no start is not likely to be a fuel pump. And it's probably not going to be anything that's going to show up necessarily on a check engine light type situation because the car may not know. You know, I when it cranks, it doesn't kind of try to start and die. It just crank, 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 crank. No, yeah, it just spins. And then once it cranks, the thing runs right. beautiful. Right. There's no problem. The only way to find that many is probably going to be to bring it to the shop and just be prepared to leave it and explain to them that this occurs every couple of days, and they're just going to have to check. Now, one thing you might look for next time it does this, when you turn your key to on, the check engine light should come on. If the check engine light does not come on when you just turn the key to on before you're cranking, then it could be something like the PCM is not working sometime. If it doesn't work, it's not going to fire the injectors. It's not going to fire the fuel pump. Nothing's going to work. Another thing you can kind of look at is watch the tachometer in the car while you're cranking and see yeah. if it's bouncing just slightly. I mean, it's not going to be a lot. you got to look close. But if it's bouncing ever so slightly, then that means it's probably seeing the crank signal. Now, if that tack is completely dead, then you're probably not getting a crank signal. So I'd be looking at crank sensors and, the, you know, the wiring to the crank sensor. Now, what you might want to do is just go out while the car is normal and just crank it and watch what these things do so you'll be familiar so you'll know what they're supposed to do. Whereas right. when, when you turn that key, that tack ought to just bounce just very, very slightly because it's seeing that pulse. If it's just completely flat and not moving at all, then we're probably into a crank sensor or something like that. So, I mean, there's just so many possible things that could cause the car not to start without having some type of headway or duplicating it in the shop. It's going to be hard to find. I think what I would do is look for those couple of things. If it does either one of those, let the shop know, and that's going to send them in the right direction. If you can't pick up on anything, just be prepared to maybe leave it for a couple of days and let them duplicate the problem. That's just the only way to do it. Well, that's the thing. I left. I went to Florida for a week and a week, and they had it for ten days, and yeah. it cranked every time they tried to crank it. That can happen. That can happen. I sympathize right. with you, but I sympathize with them too because you know you can't duplicate the problem. There's just no right. way to test it. It's, it's just electrical. And it's either off or on, and if it's on, it's just going to say it's on. It's not going to tell you it's on now, but two days from now, it's going to be off. Right. It's- and, I, yeah, I mean, I've done brought up three shops, so, I mean, they feel my pain. I understand oh, it's yeah. not them. They're just not seeing what it is because it's not doing it for them. Right. And it's crazy how it works. When she gets it, it ain't hardly ever start, but when it's in the shop, it starts every time. Well, so- now, see, you want to watch, too, where when you've got the car – at home, it may be sitting out in the driveway or whatever. When they've got the car in the shop, maybe sitting inside the shop. So that could right. be a factor. Moisture may be getting into something. you got to be sure you tell them exactly what it's doing, where it's parked, and all that kind of stuff so they can duplicate the situation in the shop. I know I've okay. seen that happen before. We had a car one time, and the battery kept going dead. And we would keep the car for weeks, and it wouldn't go dead. But right. what was happening is we could set it out. The woman could pick up next morning, the battery was dead. She had a satellite radio that had been disconnected, but computer was still pinging, looking for that satellite, trying to home in and do it. And it would do it at her house because it was sitting out in the driveway. In my shop, it was inside a metal building. It didn't do it. Right. So right. you need to exactly duplicate the factors that relate to when it occurs. Okay. All, All right. right. Okay, Benny. Well, I appreciate it. You bet. All right. Thank you. Thanks for calling, man. All right. We've got to take one more quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. Oh, 
Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodrich. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues. Uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. They'll check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! That little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to Join Us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Miss Elaine Aldazan, our Agco appointment maker and accountant and coffee maker. Coffee maker. <laughs> Pretty much a morale officer. <laughs> We're talking about making appointments. And there are times when it's not practical or maybe possible to make an appointment. For instance, the car is just broken down. That's true. And at those times, you can have your vehicle towed over to the shop if you've got time to leave it with us until we can get to it. Because there's plenty of times when appointments are made and these appointments don't turn out to be what's anticipated. And if your vehicle is there, then we can bump you up and fit you in sooner than your original appointment would have been scheduled. Yeah, very often that occurs where during the day maybe we schedule an appointment, someone comes, so I got a rattle noise. Well, you check the car and you find out the engine is knocking. Well, that just went from a rattle noise to a new engine. That person is going to have to take time to think this through, so on as, as that. It may be that it's not an immediate problem like it was before. You know, before he expected to be in and out in three or four hours. Well, now maybe he expects this car to be there for three or four days or longer. So yeah. time that they had blocked for him becomes available to someone else. Yes, we've had customers with appointments scheduled a week ahead, and they came and they dropped it. And through different reasons, it gets bumped to the next day that they dropped it off. So, mm-hmm. And that always turns out nicely. Yeah, I had a, had a guy just the other day who came in early. Uh, I want to say he was there at 7 o'clock. And when he walked in, I said, man, I am sorry. We're totally booked for the day. But why don't you hang around just a little bit and let's see what happens. Well, as it worked out, somebody called in and canceled an appointment they had made later in the day. So he was able to get checked that day. And then... Again, it turned out to be a much smaller problem than what anticipated, so he was able to get the car fixed that same day. Mm-hmm. And had we made an appointment, it might have been a week before we could have scheduled that appointment. Yes, it's always nice if you're able to bring it in and just leave it with us because quite often you'll get a nice surprise. Yeah, well, very often it's just impossible to perfectly estimate how much time every car is going to take. So we try to overestimate slightly so we don't disappoint anybody. And that time can become available during the day. It's just I don't know. I have to plan for everyone taking exactly as long as it may take in order to deliver the car on time. So very often if you can leave the car in, even without an appointment, it can get moved up. It's just you have to be prepared that if it didn't get looked at today, well, maybe it'll get looked at tomorrow. If you got two or three days, or let's say the car is just broken down, it doesn't run anyway, so you've made alternative transportation arrangements, well, then it doesn't. it's not quite as critical. 
And like I said, that can't happen very, very often. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing that you can prevent issues like that is by once a year bringing the car in for a general inspection. This is where we will go through, review the maintenance, review things that are pending to go bad. And what this can help to prevent is the breakdown, which is an emergency. In other words, you can schedule this at the time you like, time you prefer. We had a gentleman come in last week, and he came in. Someone had told him he needed ball joints in his vehicle, which he did not need. We checked it, and the front end was fine. However, while we're checking it, we look up, and there's a big trail of coolant, which is leaking down the side of the tank of the radiator. Now, it hadn't gotten bad enough where it was dripping on the ground yet, and apparently it hadn't been going on too long because he hadn't experienced a loss of coolant. But what we were able to do is by spotting this early, we were able to go ahead and replace the radiator at a time that was convenient for him rather than maybe if it had not gotten caught and it had gone down the road three months from now on the hottest day of the year when you're late for a business appointment, that's when it goes out. You know, also, I do want to remind people that a general inspection is not a diagnosis of the problem. A general inspection is an inspection of the vehicle and at that time, we can see that there are problems pending. Right. For instance, if you have a check engine light on, the general inspection will tell you, yeah, the light's on, you got this code. But then you're going to have to diagnose why the light's on. That is a separate procedure from the general inspection. So you do need to make us aware of anything that you know is going on because we will spot many, many, many things. But if you've got, let's say, every week and a half you turn the key and the car doesn't crank well a general inspection is probably not going to catch that unless it occurs in the shop if you don't tell me it does that i get in the car and cranks fine every single time i try it i'm not going to suspect that i will check the battery i'll check the starter i'll check the cables but if it doesn't show up in that then it's not going to get uncovered you have to make the shop aware that that is an issue that you're looking for and you know another service we provide is a pre-warranty expiration inspection Mm -hmm. when your vehicle is fixing to go out of warranty it would be a very good idea a month or two beforehand to bring it in let us go over it make sure there isn't anything that could be covered under warranty because if you wait then it's going to have to come out of your pocket right and that's with the manufacturer's warranty or an extended warranty let's say you had an extended warranty on the car and it's just about up well You bring the car in, and I say, okay, the rack and pinion is starting to leak. Now, it's not bad enough now where you're losing a lot of fluid. It's not leaving a spot on the ground. You had no way to know about it. But by being under the car, I can see this thing is leaking. Well, that may very well be covered under your warranty. Now, if you wait a year until it's just pouring out, now it's out of warranty, and you're going to have to end up getting it yourself. Another spot that we see is like valve cover gaskets leaking. When they first start, they're just a slight leak. It's not really a problem that you would know about necessarily unless someone checked for it. But if you wait until it's out of warranty, then that could be a very expensive repair that you may have to bite the bullet for yourself. So, yeah, pre-warranty expiration, bring it in a month or so before your warranty expires, and we can check and let you know about things that are going to be a problem that would be covered under your warranty. And we also are able to give you any bulletins on your vehicle? Service bulletins that might be out, things to look for, because often we'll tell them, well, there's a bulletin for this. Oh, yeah, mine does that. Okay, well, you can go back and get that done a lot of times as long as it's under warranty. If it's out of warranty, you're out of luck. A bulletin is not an extended warranty. It doesn't extend your warranty. It just says this is a problem a lot of people have had. 
So if we're aware of that and we tell you about it and you say, yes, mine does that, well, then you can go back and tell them about it and get it covered mm-hmm. under your warranty. One last quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Lie back and tell me what's stressing you out, Mr. Hevoted supervillain, arch nemesis of good. I have electric superpowers, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like you're burnt out and stressed about your job. Yes, Doctor, the pressure is insane. My wife's always nagging me about my evil plans not being up to par, melting the polar ice caps, blocking out the sun, world domination. None of it's good enough for her. Uh, Some days... I just want a garden. Hair Voltage, I can't really advise you on your super evil plans, but I can offer this advice on gaining some peace of mind. Bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and they catch any problems early so you don't have major repairs down the road. Hmm, I know Agco could work on my Scion, but can they work on my G19 thermonuclear urban assault car copter? You'll have to call Agco about that. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Well, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Louis Altazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got my wife, Elaine Altazan, right here by my side. Mr. Brian is out under the weather this week, so he'll be back next week, I'm sure. We were talking today just about the way a shop operates and how to maybe get better results and we touched on the pre-warranty expiration inspection. Now, that is similar to a general inspection, but slightly different, in that we are looking for things that would be covered under warranty that may be covered. So I'm checking service bulletins. I'm checking things that maybe you wouldn't be concerned with if you had to spend your own money on it. For instance, a leaking valve cover that is not causing a symptom right now we may let you know about it, but it's something you may not want to spend your money to fix. If you got to spend the money anyway, you could put it off for maybe a year. Now, that situation changes completely if it's going to be out of warranty in a year and it's leaking now. The warranty says if it's leaking, they'll cover it. And it's not leaking bad, but it doesn't say that. It says if it's leaking because we know it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse when it's out of warranty. So our ominous changes somewhat as to what we're looking for and the way we're going to react to the problems that we find. Now, Another comparison there would be another inspection we do is a, a pre-purchase inspection. This is before you have bought a car. Again, there are similarities to a general inspection, but with a general inspection, I'm assuming that you own the car and that you know a lot of things about the car. For instance, you know if it's been wrecked or not. You know if it's been flooded or not. You know all this stuff. So we're not going to waste a bunch of your time and money trying to check those things on a car that you own and have owned for years. On a car that you are purchasing, I'm looking for hidden defects, things that could be hidden from you that you wouldn't know about. That's what you want to know about because you're trying to make a decision, do you want to buy the car or not? Quite often, vehicles will come in and say they've had the 100-point inspection. Right. And we had a specific customer come in one time, and he drove up, and tech went out to get in the car, and he's saying, I'm sure this is the one because it's had that 100-point inspection, but I wanted you to check them. So he got, our tech got in the vehicle, he put it in reverse, it did nothing. Yeah, it didn't back up. He walked back in, the tech did, and said, you might tell him to do a 102 and tell him to add a little bit of transmission <laughs> fluid to it. The vehicle was literally out of transmission yeah, it fluid. Had, it was about three quarts low, in which in this particular one, it only holds four and a half, so it's not going to move. And that was supposedly 100-point inspection they had done on the vehicle, but they hadn't checked the transmission fluid. So when you get 
basically a free inspection. It's pretty much worth no more than what you pay for it. You, you want an inspection from someone who does not stand to gain anything by your decision. He is unbiased, and he's just trying to check the vehicle and tell you what it is. The guy selling you the car has a bias. He wants to sell that car. So you can't necessarily say that his inspection is bad or they didn't do the inspection. Many times they do, and they do a good job. But I would not ever buy a car based on what the car dealer or the car lot had done as far as inspection. They say, well, this is a certified used car. Well, all a certified used car is is a used car that has an extended warranty tacked on the price for the most part. They haven't necessarily gone all through the car and made it like new, although sometimes they claim that. In some cases, they may do that. I don't know. But what you want to do is you want to make sure the car you are buying is good and solid and has no problems. Another thing we see is that people will say, well, I'm buying a Toyota, and that's a good car, so I still need to get inspected. Well, absolutely. It is a good car, but this particular one, we don't know what's happened to it. I did want to let one little point out is the fact that people will call and say, how much is a used car inspection? Well, it depends. The better the vehicle. Uh, if the more you, it costs. Better the, it is, the yeah, more it's going more, to cost. Yeah, the more it costs. When you bring your vehicle in, if we put it up and we go test drive it and then one of our techs immediately sees a major problem, he'll come in and tell Lewis, this guy does not want this vehicle. Well, we spent 10 minutes on it. You're going to get charged for 10 minutes. Right. What we do is we bill by the time we spend on that particular vehicle, and we're billing in one-tenth of an hour increments. And I'm looking for a reason not to buy the car because as soon as I see a major reason not to buy this car, then it really doesn't matter what else might be wrong with it. In other words, if I put it in gear and it doesn't move and I pull the dipstick and the fluid is black as tar, and it's all full of metal. Okay, we know this trans- this car needs a transmission, which is going to be a four to five thousand dollar repair in some cases. Does it really matter what else is wrong with the car? I think that's enough information right there to make up your mind. Now, I've had instances where someone will say, "Well, I know the transmission is bad. He'd already told me that, and he's discounted the car, so go ahead and finish the check." Okay, well, great, we'll do that. Glad to do it. The point is, we want to charge you as little as possible to give you the information that you need. And the information you need is basically, should I buy this car? Yes, no. So you don't need a big inspection every single time. Sometimes just a small amount of inspection is going to tell you. Another example of that is where we put the car up, and it's obviously a flood car. You know, we pull, we get in the car, and we smell a strong odor of musty smell. So we pull the carpet up, and there are leaves and pea gravel under the carpet. Look under the dash, and it looks like a a flower garden full of white roses is all all the connections are all flowered up really and truly i would not go any further with that car that is a reason enough for me not to buy it and you'll have it well i'm getting a good deal on it. well you're not getting a good deal on a car that's going to give you trouble forever you know it's not a good deal this is a car that is going to continue to give you problems and there's a reason why insurance companies almost always total a car once it's been flooded because it is a continuing, continuing problem. It just never goes away. So it's not a good deal. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something you want to avoid. Like one of those cars where just the little old lady drove it for five miles a week and should be perfect because it only has a 1,000 miles on well, it. Well, <laughs> that's a good example, and we do run across that a lot, particularly here in the south, because we don't have salted roads. It doesn't freeze. So the cars last, the body of the car lasts 
almost forever. Unless you wreck it or something, it's going to last pretty much forever until you're tired of driving it. So it's not unusual at all for us to get mid-90s cars, which were some of the best cars they ever built, and someone has been driving it very, very, very little. Maybe it's an elderly person. Perhaps they were bedridden or whatever, and they just didn't operate the car much. Something occurs, either they quit driving or whatever, and the car goes on the market. Well, you know, we had a lady not too, too long ago who brought us a little Toyota, and she had been operating it pretty much that way, just putting around town. She wanted a full general inspection. Well, when we started checking, the amount of money it would have taken to put this car back into good shape was probably in excess of the value of the car. No maintenance had been done. Not much had been done on it. It needed a timing belt. It needed a rack and pinion, which was leaking. It needed so many things that it was going to exceed the value of the car. Now, the way that she operates the car, and what I advise her, is just keep using the car until something breaks, and you can have that repaired because you don't use it very much. But the next guy buys a car, and he wants to go to work in New Orleans and back. So he starts taking a 100-mile trip once a day, and this car is going to absolutely come apart on him. First thing, time belt's going to break. Valve's going to get the piston. It's going to need an engine. Next thing, he's not going to be able to keep power steering fluid in it because it's puking all the fluid out because now he's steering it more. He's driving it more. On and on and on and on it goes. So the way you operate that car, it may have been fine in the environment it was in. For someone who wants to put five or six miles a week, they may be able to continue to drive this car for a year or two. You know, eventually, it's just going to fail. But if you're going to buy this car from someone who's been operating like that and then put it into full service, you're going to have big, big, big problems because so many things are related to time. Some things are related to miles, but a lot of things are related to time, and those can be very expensive to address guy came in the other day and he says i'm fixing to take a road trip i'm going to take my truck out of town well he had a 1998 model truck well the first thing i noticed is the spare tire was original to the truck well this spare tire is 20 years old and starting to come apart now if you're putting around town that may be an inconvenience if you have a flat but more likely you're going to get a nail in one of your tires because start going low you're going to go to the shop and have it repaired but if you're on the highway and your tire blows out and you got a 20 year old spare well that's a big issue so the conditions you're going to operate under are going to change the needs of the vehicle. If you've got a car that occasionally is hard to start, again, if you're in town and you've got another car, that's really not a big issue. You go out there, you crank it, it doesn't start. Well, you go back inside, get a cup of coffee, come back out later, it starts. Well, that's great. You can use it like that if that's what you choose to do. You may have another car, so you just use your other car. But if you're going to take this car and go out on the road and you're halfway between here and nowhere and you stop for gas and the car won't start, that's going to be a whole different situation. So when the situations of operation change, the needs of the vehicle are going to change. So we kind of went a long way around the totem pole there, but like you had mentioned, a car with low, low miles relative to the years is very, very rarely, if ever, going to be a good deal for you. Those cars are generally going to have way more problems than a car with higher mileage and newer. So if you are going to make a decision to buy a car and you have X dollars to spend, let's say you've got $5,000 to spend. Well, that means if you get a fairly new car, it's going to have to have a lot of miles on it to bring the price down into your range. So let's say I can find a 2015 car with 150,000 miles on it. It might be in my price range because of the high mileage. I would not be scared of that car at all because it's only three years old. It's got 150,000 miles. They're driving 50,000 miles a year. This car is being operated on the highway. 
if the basic maintenance has been done, this car is likely to be in very, very, very good shape. The other side of the spectrum is a much older car with lower mileage. And unfortunately, people seem to think that's going to be a cream puff because of low miles. But the time has worked its damage to the car. Not only that, but sitting up brings on a lot of things that being operated does not. My truck is kind of an example of that. It's a 2002, so you figure it's 16 years old. The other day I had a low tire. Brian puts it up to fix the flat tire, and he says, boss, we need a couple of calipers on the rear. I'm like, wow, I've never even done brakes on this car. Why does it need calipers? Well, one of them seized up and it's starting to get hot. Okay, well, great. I went ahead and replaced the calipers. I was able to reuse the original brake pads. The truck only has, I don't know, 60,000, 70,000 miles on it. It hadn't gone through one set of pads yet, but those 16 years are starting to affect the hydraulic system because that fluid, even though I've changed it out on a fairly regular basis, gets old. The pistons, which are plastic in this particular truck, get old. They start to swell up. One of the calipers was hanging. Now, had I not had that checked, I probably wouldn't have known about it until the wheel started smoking. But the point is, on a newer vehicle, you would never expect to see that at low mileage. We get that a lot where people will come in, they've got fairly low miles on, and we find some kind of problem, and they say, well, why'd that happen at such low mileage? Again, it's the time. The time on some issues is worse than the miles. You know, that's true of batteries. Age, doesn't matter how many miles you've got. The age, about every three years, a battery is going to go bad. Consequently, something like a TPMS sensor the tire pressure monitoring system, you get cars in seven, eight years old, and generally the TPMS light is going to be on because there's a little battery inside of that sensor that powers it. It's not outwardly replaceable. In other words, you can't change just the battery, but the time takes them out. Let's say the car only has 20,000 miles on it, but it's 10 years old. Every light on the dash may be lit up. Well, why'd that come on? It's only got 10,000 miles on it. Well, that's true, but it's got 10 years on it. So these batteries have gone bad. So you will see problems with a low-mileage, older car that you would never see on the same miles on a newer car. You know, one of the biggest things that we see, and that's like timing belts, because most people will hear, okay, at 100,000 miles, the timing belt is due. What they seem to not hear is at seven years, the belt is due. And the years are more critical than the miles. Every timing belt I've ever seen break was because it was too old. I've never seen one break because of the miles, although it technically could. It was recommended at 100,000. Let's say the car is four years old and it's got 150. The belt still looks pretty decent. But let's say it's 12 years old and the car has 30,000. That belt is just about to break. It's dry rotted and it's gone because the age has gotten to it. I see we are just about out of time. We need to start winding on up and getting ready to get on out of here. Thank everybody who called today and thank all the people who have listened to our show. We sure appreciate you listening. If you listen on podcast, we'd appreciate you going to the site that you listen and see if there's a place to put a review. If you give us a positive review, that's going to move us up in the ranking. So when people go in and type in a generic term like auto repair, it's going to move us up closer to where we come up and more people listen. More people listen, the longer we can do the show, they won't boot us on out of here. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.